0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. We're going to begin in Psalm 1 this morning. It's going to be a very interesting morning as we uh, launch and kick off our Summer in the Psalms series. Uh, super excited for that. If you're new with us here this morning or if you're joining us online for the first time, my name is... Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the express privilege of bringing God's word to you. So, hopefully, you have your Bibles open and you're in Psalm 1. So, uh, we're going to, like I said, do things a little bit different if you've been with us for a while. What I want to do this morning is I want to read to you from Psalm 1, and then I want to read to you from Psalm 20. And then we're going to pray for God's help because then I'm going to try to preach all through all 20 of those chapters in the allotted time in front of me. Everybody believe in miracles, right? We believe in the empty tomb, so we, we believe it's going to happen today. Um, so uh, here's what I want you to do. Again, a little bit different. Hey, wherever you're sitting at, if you have your Bibles open, great, um, you're going to need it open at Psalm 1, because you're going to need to follow along in this uh, um, crazy train of events uh, over the next 45 minutes. What I want you to do right now, though, because I know we're going to be speeding along through 20 chapters, I want you to just close your eyes where you're at. I just want you to hear two chapters of the Psalms just read over you. As though the Spirit were here and present in our midst as the Bible tells us He is. And that the Spirit would actually just speak through the reading of God's Word just over you. And maybe bring you to a place where you're ready to hear 20 chapters preached. So if you would, close your eyes. begin in Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That is Psalm 1. Psalm 20, beginning in verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we... Shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Oh, Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Father, would you come and help? Or would you help us have hearts that are open and receptive to what you would speak to us. And Lord, would you come and help take what feels to me to be a real insurmountable task, um, not not only just standing in this space and attempting to speak for you by your power, but uh, attempting to look at this large section of Scripture and hoping to hoping to be faithful to you and helpful to your people. So God, I pray that you would come and help us. Give us your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this uh, last weekend, uh, Christy and I, uh, my wife and I, if, uh, if you don't know her, you should meet her. She's a sweetheart. She puts up with me, so she has to be sweet. <clears throat> uh, Christy and I went to a Pastor and Wise retreat with uh, Acts 29, which is one of the networks slash denominations that our church is part of. Uh, We were in this beautiful place called Vail, Colorado if you've never been there. I highly recommend it Um, Though I would say for an old country boy Slash biker slash dude who grew up on a farm slash guy who grew up really poor with duct tape on his shoes and bailing wire to hold my jeans on um, I felt way out of place It was really really uptown if you've never been to Vail you don't know, <laughs> you should go, and you should check it out. It, it feels like a slice of heaven where there's like absolutely no needs. It's all very overpriced, but it feels like there's, there's, there's no needs. If you want a ribeye there, it costs you 80 bucks. Um, you can cut it with a butter knife. We got away, we refreshed, we, we, we talked with old friends, we caught up on some business. As we were driving back, we were listen to music, various different artists, and uh, um, one of them that we were listening to is a country western guy named Aaron Lewis. Now, don't mock me for listening to country. I grew up on a farm, grew up on a horse ranch. Mom was a horse trainer. I grew up in, in cowboy boots wrapped in duct tape because we were too poor to buy brand new ones. Uh, wore a cowboy hat to keep the sun off my head and the rain out of my eyes. And uh, this is how I grew up, throwing hay bales and pulling weeds and chopping down trees and taking care of the livestock and uh, so country music is ingrained in part of who I am I I also love good rock music and we can go on forever but country music's got a pretty deep root and uh, I was listening to Aaron Lewis and he's got this song and the, the title of the song is that ain't country and he works through all of this, uh, all, all of these uh, points about how modern day country music really isn't country music. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. OK, all right. Um, this mic feels hot, so I'm just going to move it down, because it's like popping like crazy. OK, there. Um, so he's working his way through it, And basically what he's saying is the same thing I would say. Like the stuff you hear on the radio today, that's not, I mean, these guys, if they wear cowboy hats, they only wear them for a photo op. They don't wear them to keep the sun out of their eyes, or probably never been on a horse, right, okay. They, they wear tennis shoes with their cowboy hats that, I mean, it just, it, it boggles my mind. Not to mention the crazy rap overtones and then you've got the bass going on, right. I mean, that's not country. No. I, I, it just, it shouldn't be called country. I don't know what it should be called, okay. Uh, um, I, but that, that same kind of angst. That I feel when it comes to to that new, whatever it is, music, um, it is the same kind of angst I feel sometimes when I hear worship music in the church. There, there there is a lot of good Christian music today. Okay, so please don't hear a ton of negative. But there's also a lot of worship music and Christian music that when you listen to it, you go, "I, do you even read your Bible?" Like, is it doesn't seem like it's even. Biblically, and I just, so I just want to say, like, that ain't worship. That, that's where I land sometimes, I just I'll turn it off. Um, and, and I share this because that is some of the heartbeat um, behind why we um, jump into the Psalms every summer. Our, our, our rhythm regularly is to study 10 Psalms throughout the summer. And I've been telling our people who have been with us for a long time that if you do the math, there's 150 Psalms. Um, so that's 15 years. Um, Not to mention Psalm 119 is really long, so we're going to take a full summer for that. So that's 16 years of studying the Psalms together as a church family, which means y'all are stuck with me for 16 years unless God comes and takes me back home or y'all fire me, one of the two. So um, we're looking forward to continuing that this year. This year we're going to be in uh, Psalms 21 through 30. Now I have this crazy harebrained idea. um, And and, well, look, before I go to the crazy harebrained idea, the reason we're in the Psalms is to help us wrestle with and, and grasp True worship in the Bible. like the, the psalms are full of these nitty-gritty, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching poetry and songs. Okay, So for the other church and for Israel, the psalms literally were their psalm book. It was their hymn book. They carried that under their arm and they walked in their gatherings. They'd open it and they would sing these things. Now when you get to a place like Psalm 3 here in a few minutes with me and, and, and you're singing something like, God, please... Uh, smack the cheek of the wicked and break the teeth of my enemies I mean you imagine seeing that in a worship song you're never gonna find that in the church today why because we're soft we're soft okay and we'd rather have country that's not really country anyways (laughs) when you get into some of these Psalms and you and you realize hey these are the song book this is the worship song book of the early church in Israel and then you, you compare that to today's worship That's where, if you read the Psalms enough, I think that's where some of that angst comes from for me. And our hope, my hope, and our hope is that as we would study those, it would bring us back to what true worship actually is. Something that's real. Something that's not fluffy. It's not all rainbows and unicorns, right? Life's not that way. We know that. Life's tough. Life can be good, but life can be tough. And yet there's a way to worship God in that. Um, I had some questions written down in my manuscript that I'm not following very well yet, so that should give you an indicator of how long we're going to be here. I had these questions as I was studying through these, these psalms. I'm going to get through these questions quick, and then we're going to bounce in, and we're going to, we're going to roll through these quick. I just want to set the stage a little bit more. Like, when I think about the psalms, I think about worshiping God. Here's questions I ask. I think you might ask them too. Like, How do I relate to God during the most difficult seasons of my life? In those seasons, like how do I actually relate to him in a healthy way and, and, and how does he relate to me? Like who is he in those difficult seasons? How, how, how am I supposed to go to him when life has tossed one curveball after the next that seems like it's traveling so fast it's ready to take my head off, right? In those seasons where it's gut-wrenching and it's hard and you feel like, God, I don't even know if I trust you anymore. I, I don't know if you've ever said those things, um, I have. Like, God, I, you allowed this really horrifying thing to happen in my life, I'm not even sure I like you. Is it okay to say that? Is that still worship? Um, like what, when, when you realize, like, say, you got Satan, sin, and death, those are our worst enemies, right? Flesh and blood's not our worst enemy. The problem is we can see flesh and blood, you can't see Satan, sin, and death, and so we get fixated on other people like Democrats and Republicans, okay? amen we get focused on people like they're our enemies and it's like yo the Bible is really clear they're not our enemies there's these invisible spiritual forces Satan sin and death that's our enemies that's what Jesus died to defeat he didn't die to defeat Democrats and Republicans either or so why do we get caught up in it because you can see it that's why great distraction Satan thank you very much where do you go, though? How do you worship when you begin to realize, okay, holy crap, I, I just got really distracted, got, got off, and Satan, sin, and death, they've been running rampant inside my heart and my mind as I've been distracted thinking about all these worldly, earthly things that are right in front of me, right? I've made this little, this little kingdom here on earth that's going to go away someday. I've made that my, my ultimate kingdom. When you realize that, how do you worship God? How do you go to him, right? Um... Where do you find true and lasting joy in the midst of all the overwhelming circumstances of this life? How do you cling to the finished work of Jesus in the cross, the empty tomb, and the promise of eternity when it just seems like life is laughing in your face over and over and over again? I can tell you this, it's not going to be by sitting on the sideline and singing songs like, God, your love is so stinking reckless. Because the word reckless is not in the psalms ever in regards to God's love. Right? Now, I love the psalm. But I happen to insert in place of reckless, I insert steadfast. Makes sense because steadfast is all over the psalms. And then you've redeemed that psalm. I don't want to have a vision of of God in in, in a picture of who he's not. I don't want to try to relate to him in a way that is not him. And so I come back to the psalms. This is some of the heartbeat. This is some of the questions under the surface of why we go to the Psalms every summer. Now that I've killed 12 minutes of our time, we're gonna take the rest of our time and run through 20 Psalms. You ready? Let's go. Grab your Bibles, follow along with me. The will probably be the best way for you to stay in- engaged. Even if you have them on your tablet, it'll be good. We're gonna start in Psalm one, it's gonna be easy. All you gotta do is hit the arrow or turn the page, okay? And here's what we're going to do, just to kind of give you a picture. What I've done is, I, in my study this week, I, I have just kind of highlighted a couple of verses in each psalm and tried to theme each psalm the way that I think the psalm is. Um, so it's very devotional in the way we're going to work through these, but it's a lot. So i warn you ahead of time, it's a lot. The tendency is going to be to check out at times, so just stay engaged. Have your neighbor smack you. Just look at your neighbor and say, smack me if I fall asleep. I only saw some of you do that, so some of you know that your neighbor will definitely do this, and that's probably, yeah, Psalm 1. What do we see in Psalm 1? Uh, In Psalm 1, what we see is basically an outline of what it means uh, to to, to live righteously, right? Um, And that's what worshiping God is all about. Worshiping God is all about living a lifestyle that is righteous in God's sight. So do you ever stop and wonder? what it means to be a righteous person like what does that mean to be a righteous person you see by the grace of god as you and i trust in the finished work of the cross the empty tomb and the promise of eternity then here's what we get to say along with the psalmist in verses one through three of psalm one we're able to say blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked so i'm not taking counsel from wicked people nor stands in the way of sinners so i'm not going to be standing there with sinners and be like i'm just like you nor sits in the seat of scoffers so i went from walking to standing to now taking a seat with people who are enemies of god no not going to do that either this does not mean i'm not going to be in the world i'm just not going to be of the world okay but his delight the psalmist says is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night think about that idea of meditating on god's word day and night this the the word meditate is like a cow chewing his cud it's the idea that you're going to chew on this you're going to consume it you're going to eat it why because god's word god's law is what's going to nourish your spirit how many of you here today know that deep down inside you are spiritually malnourished You don't have to raise your hand. Not gonna put you on. If you want to, you can. It's fine too. It's good. How many of you know that deep down inside you're spiritually malnourished because you have not been feeding on God's word? As a person who lives righteously delights in the law of the Lord, and on His law he meditates, chews day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So what this teaches us is that real worship not fake worship but real worship that honors god it's the kind of worship that is backed up by a righteous lifestyle that is full of the spiritual fruit and the life-giving presence of the holy spirit and it centers around being in god's word psalm 2 turn to psalm 2. in psalm 2 we learn that jesus is the king of kings we've probably heard this phrase many times jesus is the king of kings. now when you and I survey the world that we live in right now I think it's pretty easy to see that the nations around us are basically raging against anything that is godly or good would you agree and we look in the world around us and there's not a whole lot of good that we see in the world in some regard at times it feels like the world is head- heading to hell in a handbasket right um, so where do you turn where do you turn when you see how hostile the world is to the ways of the Lord? Now, again, shouldn't be shocked by this. This should shock no one, okay? Even though we live in America, America is not heaven. So we should quit trying to make it heaven, <laughs> you know, because it's never going to be heaven. Um, bringing a little slice of heaven on earth is what we're doing right now as a church, okay? Um, but what do you do then? Yeah, you're not going to be surprised. But when you see how hostile the world is to the ways of the Lord, what do you do? Here's what we do. We turn to the king of kings. We trust in the king of kings. We say, yeah, there may be kings of this earth, but my king's bigger than that king. My king's eternal. That king's going to die. My king's not dead. He left the tomb empty, right? He's the king of kings. We turn to the crucified, risen, and returning Christ. And in those moments, what we do is we sing with this psalmist in Psalm 2, as he remembers what God has said, what has he said in verses 6 through 9, he has said, As for me, I have set my king on, this is God speaking, I have set my keen on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The decree that the king has laid down is something that doesn't get broken. Okay, Not like the decrees today where a president gets in office, sets his decrees, they last for four years. The next president gets in office and he sets his decrees to go against that guy's decrees. It's not that kind of a decree. The kind of a decree that my King sets is an eternal decree, it never changes. You know what? I like that. I like that. I don't like changing politics every stinking four years. Drives me batty. This reminds me, this system is broken. But you know who's not broken? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay. I find great joy, great hope, great rest, great comfort. You know what? I don't need anymore. Fox News, CNN News, or any of those on my phone. You know why? Because i got the king of kings living in my heart. That's all I need. So we can say, with the psalmist, "Ask for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree, which never ends. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. So who's, who's going to uh, uh, inherit all of everything? Because he created all of everything, Jesus, the king of kings, right? Nobody else. Ask him, I'll make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall, listen, you shall break them. Who? Uh, those bad earthly kings. You shall break them with a rod of iron. I kind of love that picture because that's like the warring king, right? Rod of iron, bust them down, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So, Real worship that actually honors God is the kind of worship that lifts high the name of Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Psalm 3. I love Psalm 3. Y'all probably hear me reference Psalm 3 all the time. I love Psalm 3 because it's all about the God who saves. Okay? It's about the God who saves. And I think that we probably all have our days when it feels like our enemies. Who's our enemies? Somebody please don't say Democrats and Republicans. Send Satan to the grave. Thank you. Send Satan to the grave. Those are our enemies. Right? I think we all have our days when we feel like those enemies are just breathing down our necks. Right? We have our days when Satan's lies feel true. Agreed? We all have our days when Satan's lies feel like too much to bear. Or we have our days when sin is so seductive that we Don't feel like we can even resist the seduction of sin anymore, right? You probably have your days when you don't resist sin seduction very well. Or days where death continuously reminds you that your days on this earth are numbered. Even though we have those days, we can worship the God who saves with the psalmist by proclaiming in a voice that's louder than our enemies. And here's what we proclaim arise, O Lord, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, he says in verses 7 through 8, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. Now, I love that picture because it reminds me of Rocky. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. It's It's a violent God. I like that picture. The next thing he says is you break the teeth of the wicked. You Punch them in the face, you break the teeth of the wicked. They can't talk anymore and they can't bite anymore either. He's basically taken the teeth out of our enemy's ability to hurt us. He ends that by saying salvation belongs to the Lord. Here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross, when he left the tomb empty three days later, right? When he ascended into heaven and left that promise, hey, yo, I'll be back. I'm coming back to get you I'm gonna take you home to be with me to heaven what's he doing in those moments in those moments what he's doing is he's curb stomping Satan's sin in the grave that's the picture I get how's that for motivation to worship on a Sunday morning or between Sunday mornings but that's the God who has saved us look at Psalm 4 in Psalm 4 we learn that God answers our prayers now, when you think about prayers, there's times where it feels like your prayers don't get answered, doesn't it? There are prayers that you've been praying for years that God has not answered yet. You're, you're, you're praying for a wayward child to come back around. You're praying for a, a spouse to get saved. You're, you're praying for some physical ailment that has been tracking you around for a long time. You're praying for an emotional issue that you can't seem to shake. You've been praying for years and it doesn't seem like God's answering the prayer. Have those days where it feels like that prayer didn't get any higher than the ceiling in this room. But the reality is that God does hear those prayers. And the reality is God does answer every one of those prayers. Now, we may not always like the answer that God gives. But we can always call out to God. We can call out to God with the psalmist here in verse 1 of chapter 4. And we can say, God, answer me when I call Oh God of my righteousness you have given me relief when I was in distress and you hear that <coughs> you hear the psalmist saying that you've given me relief when I was in distress and you go well that sounds like a dude who got all of his prayers answered so the next thing he says is be gracious to me and hear my prayers now, do you really think that the psalmist got all of his prayers answered the exact way he wanted them to our own human experience tells us that can't be the truth right But we do hear him say, you have given me relief when I was in distress. How distressed are you when you pray and you ask and you beg and you cry and you get angry? You're you're in the presence of God, right? You're begging, you're crying, you're getting angry. And you're like, please, God, answer this prayer. How much distress do you feel when it doesn't get answered the way you want it to? Right? How much distress do you feel when it doesn't get answered the way you want it to? A lot. And what the psalmist is saying is, you have, past tense, you have given me relief when I was in distress. He's proclaiming the work that God has done in his life in regards to prayer. You see, true worship, you tie this back to worship, true worship is actually surrendering all of my wants, all of my needs to the God who answers every prayer. And then in the midst of that, I'm asking God to relieve my distress when he doesn't answer those prayers the way that I want him to. I have a list of people that I've been praying for, for salvation, and it hasn't happened yet. And I feel a lot of distress over that some nights. But I also have to ask God, help me to be okay with your timing. Meaning, give me some relief in my distress. You ever experience that kind of gut-wrenching life of worship throughout the week? Look at Psalm 5. In Psalm 5, we learn that God leads us into righteousness. Sometimes it feels like life can be one never-ending highway, right? It's kind of winding, turning. It's a never-ending highway, multiple twists, multiple turns, multiple blind spots. I hate the blind spots of life because you don't see it coming. Duh. it's like, I never saw that coming. And then you kind of get into this little PTSD mode where you're like, "I don't know what's going to come around the next corner. I don't even think I want to drive forward anymore, right? Like just curl up in a ball inside my home. I think at times when it comes to this highway of life, it feels like we're almost being pushed or pulled or crowded through all those twists and those turns, all the kind of like heavy traffic around us in the world, right? It's just people everywhere heading all these different directions. And you're kind of wondering like, where are we headed next? And God, how, how do you want me to handle this next turn? Will you lead me in the right direction is, I think, what happens inside of me oftentimes. And the psalmist here, Psalm 5, you look at verses 8 through 9. He was able to say to God, hey, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. See, he's acknowledging there's enemies around him, right? Just make your way straight before me because there's no truth in their mouth, he says, Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. See, the traffic of the world around us, I think, is like running around in circles trying to outpace God. But, But the heart of a true worshiper in the midst of that is filled with the fuel of desire. What kind of desire? The desire to submit to God's leading. So true worship really is about trusting God to lead you into righteousness. So, so when, you, when you find yourself trying to navigate those twists and turns, ask God, please lead me in the direction you want me to go. And then, of course, you've got to have the willpower and the strength from the power of the Holy Spirit to follow his leading. That's true worship. It's not just about singing songs. It's about the way we live, right? Right? Psalm 6. God delivers us from our enemies. The theme of wanting to be delivered from our enemies really is all over the Psalms. Uh, Truth be told, I think it's all over our hearts too. I think we all desperately want to be delivered from our enemies. So, how often do you find yourself, how often have you found yourself lately begging God for deliverance from some kind of oppression? Right? Some, some kind of long-term words of condemnation, maybe. Or uh, some kind of sinful pattern that just won't let go. Or maybe some real deep anxiety or, or fear as you think about the number of your days on, on this earth. Like feel the desperation and feel the hope at the same time. It's interesting. You can feel the, the desperation of the psalmist and the hope in his voice when he cries out, Oh Lord, oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also, have you ever been at that place where you can just say, my soul is so troubled I can't even sleep? Right? My soul also is greatly troubled. Now listen to the hope. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. He's still asking this question, God, where are you in the midst of this? But I trust that you're going to come and you're going to show up in a big, mighty, awesome way for the sake of your own steadfast love. There's that word steadfast, not reckless. God doesn't, yeah, anyways, he shows up in a steadfast way. He's faithful, he's trustworthy, right? So when I I look at the the picture of the bloody cross and the empty tomb, the promise of eternity, what am I reminded of? What are you reminded of when when you look at that picture? I'm reminded that God has actually done all of the work of delivering my soul From the power of my greatest enemies my greatest enemies are who it's very good all the tracking you're only half asleep doing well God has done all the work of delivering my soul from the power of my greatest enemies and when I when I focus on that when I think about that right when I get out of all the distractions and I think about that theological gospel centered truth then what happens is my heart gets moved to truly worship my Father in spirit and in truth despite my circumstances. That's true worship. Psalm 7, God is my refuge. I don't know when the last time was that you felt like curling up in a ball in the corner away from society. When was the last time? Anybody want to tell me? Curl up in a ball away from society, hide out under a rock this morning, last night, right now? (laughs) <laughs> it seems to be a natural part of living in the broken world we're in i think we all have our days where we want to hide out from all the pain the trauma the fear of this life so the question is where do you run to when you hide when you want to hide where do you run to okay now the psalmist with a true heart of worship he runs to god and here's what he says in verses 1 through 2 and 10 of chapter 7 He says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. That's a picture of some ultimate fear, isn't it? Somebody's going to tear me to pieces. That's scary. Then he follows up in verse 10 and he says, My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Here's the thing. Worship gone wrong, in terms of refuge and hiding, worship gone wrong seeks to find shelter and refuge in the things of this world or in the accomplishments of self. But worship done right actually finds safety and shelter in the arms of our crucified, risen, and returning Savior. I would really recommend a worship song that I think fits this really well. Um, and it's a song called Shelter by a group named, somebody please help me. Chris, do you remember the name of the group? You know what? We'll just post it on, we'll post it on Facebook somewhere. We'll find it later. Um, there, 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 is a, there is a worship song called Shelter, and it's really, really good. Vertical worship. No, nope, not Vertical Worship. Not the right one. It's Carrollton. Thank you. Yeah, Carrollton. So you want to find that video from Carrollton, find that song, listen to that, the, 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 the song Shelter. Fits this really, really well, and it's a a rockin' good song. Psalm 8, okay? God's name is above all names. Now, it's interesting to think about what happens inside of me when I'm facing a particular problem that I cannot fix. Anybody got any problems that you cannot fix in your life? Anybody got a car at home that's broken that you cannot fix? Or a motorcycle home that you cannot fix? Or, I don't know, things that you cannot fix. Like, one of the biggest things, hey, you're not supposed to point at your spouse. Hey, there's truth in that though, you know, I cannot <laughs> fix my spouse. This is actually a really good acknowledgement. Um, we, there's a lot of us that need to be reminded of that on a daily basis, namely myself. It's interesting to think about this, right? The frustration, the anger, the fear you feel when you can't get something fixed. So when my car is broken and I can't fix it, that's what I feel. I feel frustrated, I feel angry, I feel afraid, right? What's it, how much it's going to cost? Yada, yada. I got to go buy a new car. But then what happens is I, uh, I, I, just, I know how this goes. When I see the name of my mechanic pop up on my phone, I start to get a little, uh, I feel a little bit of anticipation, right? Uh, he's calling. I'm like, oh, gosh, how bad is it going to be? Can he get it fixed and, and so on and so forth? And, and then when I hear his voice and he's reassuring me, hey, man, it wasn't that bad. It's only like 200 bucks. It's not, it's not 3,000. You're, you're good to roll. I got it fixed. You can come pick it up right now you know what that sense of relief is like when you feel I mean most of us like no I I know the other side of that when it's like three thousand dollars and it can't be fixed I go yeah I get that but those that's what makes the moments where he's like hey it's good 250 bucks you're out the door that's what makes those moments really good why because I know all the bad news of what can't be fixed so when something actually does get fixed I'm like heck yes right those moments I know what it's like to experience that and then in those moments I trust that mechanic right Because I have experienced him fixing something that I previously could not fix. And it's not just this mere crazy little intellectual thing where I've just written out 20 points on a piece of paper. I've actually experienced what it is to have somebody step in and fix the thing that I can't fix and I now have emotionally experienced it and I trust him. Right? That's a new level of trust that you don't get in academia. All the commentaries on my shelf that i love and i always call my best friends outside of a few of you here of course secondarily they're my best friends but they don't they don't come anywhere close they don't come anywhere close to experiencing god truly fixing something and then me trusting him see once i realize that he alone is able to fix anything and everything then what happens is i am inclined to come to him just like the psalmist in Psalm 8, verses 1 through 2, and say this. I say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Crazy, out of the mouth of babies could stop God's enemies. I love that. Like, true worship, at the end of the day, trust God enough to know that his name is above all other names, and He alone is able to fix what is broken inside of me, which to me is the most frustrating thing in the world. Like I get frustrated about the broken things in the world around me, yes, but the most frustrating thing that most of the time I don't really like talking about is the broken places inside of me. It's what makes talking about all the broken things inside of the world so fun. Because I can talk about they and them out there, I ain't got to deal with the dirtiness and the darkness in here, right? It's a pattern that we in Christianity get stuck in all the time. But If I truly have a relationship with Jesus, where I've experienced him fixing what is broken inside of me, I can be real, I can be honest, I can worship him in spirit and in what? Truth, not falsehood. Truth, what's broken inside of me, God will fix. Look at Psalm 9. Psalm 9, God does amazing things, Right? God does amazing things. You ever ever sat down, took 30 minutes to make a tangible list of all the things God has done for you, and then shared that list with everyone that you know? That's what the psalmist does here. I'll give you a brief overview, verses 1, 3, 6, 9, 10, 12, and 16, okay? Here's what he says. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. When my enemies turn back, they stumble, they perish before your presence. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. This is what God has done. Okay? The very memory of them has perished. You wiped them, their memory off the face of the planet. I kind of like that. The Lord is a stronghold, he says, for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Well, this isn't a those who know about your name. This is an intimate those who know you, God, put their trust in, there's a lot of people who know about God, but they don't know God. I don't know if that's you today. I have my seasons. And I get to stand in the pulpit and tell you all the things I know about God, but I sure hope that gets tempered with the fact that I know God. I hope it gets tempered with that, right? Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. What's happening in this psalm is the psalmist is making a list of all the amazing things God has done. These are the reasons that we worship him. So true worship tells the unvarnished truth about the amazing things that God has done in our lives. Have you made that list? You should make that list of the amazing things that God has done. And then share it with everybody you possibly can. Psalm 10. God helps and defends the helpless. I think the train picks up from here and starts moving a little bit faster. Because about the time I got to the 10th Psalm in my study this week, I was like, yo, you put 30 hours into this study already. You better get your butt moving, okay? So just so you know, Psalm 10. God helps and defends the helpless. You ever have those moments where you feel absolutely helpless? You feel powerless? Like, I feel helpless to overcome my sin sometimes. I don't know about you, but there are days where my sin steps in And I'm like, yo, I I feel like you won this day. I know on the day when Jesus was resurrected, I win in him. But today, I feel like I lost and I'm helpless and I got no power to overcome this thing that's been following me for years, right? Out of those days where I just recognize my, my ability, my capacity, my ability to think, speak, talk, be present, all my gifts and talents, they're limited. And they're starting to get, they're starting to not be as sharp as they were previously too. So I'm I'm reminded, my days are numbered, right? The psalmist realizes that God helps and defends the helpless, and this is what he says in verses 12 through 15 of chapter 10. He says, Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted, right? And he asks this question, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? He's like, why are those people so bad? Why are they so bad? It's almost, it's almost like he's almost like he's questioning God too, because he's like, yo, Lord, do you not see these bad people? You don't see how bad it is here. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account. But you do see, he says, You do see, God, you do see, for you note, you make notes of mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. You, it's to you that the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. So, knowing that, he says, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. It just, it reminds me of an MMA match, I think. God just grabs the bad guys and slam dunks them on. Maybe it's not even MMA, maybe it's more like WWE. You know, it's like a power driver down on the ground. He breaks their arm. <coughs> break, the, oh, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. So I think true worship here is relying on God to help you and defend you when you feel helpless, when you feel powerless. Have you had that moment this week where you felt powerless, helpless? I can't get past this. Trust God. Trust God. He'll help you. and He's here to help you. You're not dead. You're alive. So is he. Look at Psalm 11. Psalm 11, you see that God is actually on his throne. I love this. Why do I love this principle that God is actually on His throne? Well, here's the thing. Uh, When when, when the ugliness of this world begins to weigh on my heart, I begin to wonder, is there any hope, right? And what I have to remind myself is that God is still on His throne, and He will never be moved. I have to preach that to myself sometimes, just to put one foot in front of the other. And that's why the psalmist says in verse 4 of chapter 11, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see and his eyelids test the children of man. It's a picture of God eternally on his throne. He will not be moved. Come hell or high water, that's where he's going to be. So true worship realizes that nothing gets past God, okay? Nothing gets past God. He sees everything. He knows everything. He hears everything. And He's in control of everything. And He's on His throne every day. And one day, He will execute perfect justice on those who are wicked. The perfect justice that was due to you and I, if you are in Christ does not come on us. It was laid on the back of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. Psalm 12. In Psalm 12, you, you get this sense that God alone is faithful. That God alone is faithful. I faced some discouraging seasons in, in life when I have surveyed all of the unfaithfulness in the world around me. You know, he, You think about this close friends, family, relatives, whatever, like you, you, you get in a relationship with people and you find out just how unfaithful they are at times. Um, <coughs> it can be really discouraging. But then the flip side of that is also true. It can also be really discouraging to realize just how unfaithful I am. I, anybody else notice that inside your own heart, just how unfaithful you actually are to your friends, to, to your spouse, to, to your family, to, to the Lord? Like, I'm so unfaithful, I break every one of the Ten Commandments. And then, and then if you take all the other commandments that are piled on top of those, what is it, like 600 some odd or something like that? I can't remember, it's, it's an astronomical amount of laws in the Bible that spring up out of the Ten Commandments. And underneath all that, it's just a simple one. Hey, love God and love your neighbor. Really simple. And then everybody's like, well, how do I do that? When well, you get all these laws, I've broken every one of them. I'm certain of it. Every time I read through the Bible and I read through those portions, I'm like, yep, Me. Yep, me. It can be discouraging to realize how unfaithful I really am deep down inside. But here's the encouraging thing is, the encouraging thing is, if I wasn't that unfaithful, and if we all weren't that unfaithful, how would we ever be able to see that God is totally faithful? That's the encouraging thing, is recognizing the faithfulness of God in the midst of an unfaithful generation. And I think it's the faithfulness of God that leaves the psalmist here in Psalm 12, to worship God by saying, may the Lord, this is funny, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips. I mean, we've already heard about him punching people in the face and curb stomping people, right? And smacking people and breaking arms. And now, now he's cutting off flattering lips. This is a horror movie, y'all. They sang about this in the church gatherings. I, I don't even know what tune you would put that to. It would be. It would have to be a Johnny Cash song, right? Like, <laughs> it has to be. Or the, the was it the the kid named or the boy named Sue. That, it's got to be that kind of a song. It's got to be that kind of a tune. May the Lord cut off all flat. I mean, we we instantly recognize these are not literal terms, right? <laughs> the psalmist uses these terms and blows them out of proportion as a picture of what God will do. Cut off all flattering lips. Oh, he moves on. The tongue that makes great boasts. Oh, <laughs> you're going to cut somebody's tongue out? Gosh. I just, I still, I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can see how they're these. I really can't. I mean, this is going to be, this going to be fascinating. how they seen these? May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? They've rejected God completely, basically. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord, and I will place him in the safety for which he belongs. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver, refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The Lord is faithful, right? He's faithful to defend the weak. And he's been faithful to cut off the lips of our greatest enemies, hasn't he? I mean, if you just apply it the way that I keep telling us to apply it, He's been faithful to cut off the lips of our greatest enemies. Satan, sin, and who? Death. death. Satan, sin, and death, right? Of the cross and the empty tomb and the promise of heaven, those are the proof of God's faithfulness towards us who are unfaithful. God's faithful to the unfaithful. You want to worship or not now? I don't want to listen to any other music right now other than that. We worship a faithful God. Psalm 13, God loves and saves. You ever question God's love for you? wonder if he really has saved you. I think that's a normal human question. But the psalmist proclaims the gospel right to his own soul, I think, in worship. In Psalm 13, when you look at verse 5, and he says, I have trusted in your what kind of love? Steadfast. Steadfast love. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See, God's loving salvation of us through the cross of Christ, that's meant to fix our eyes on him in worship. So worship should be centered on the loving salvation of sinners, by God in Christ Jesus, look at Psalm 14. God is my shelter from the foolish. That's that's crazy. Those foolish people are everywhere, aren't they? Anybody get really frustrated with foolish people? Have you ever look in the mirror and go, "You are a foolish person. I'm frustrated with you." <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Sometimes I need somebody to hold my head in front of the mirror and say, "Say this to yourself." Who's going to protect me from that foolishness, right? The psalmist says, you, O foolish one, in verse 6, you, and that's my parentheses, O foolish one, uh, would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. So when you and I find shelter, once again, back to that theme of shelter, we find shelter in the presence of God by worshiping him alone, what do we find? We find safety from the foolishness, not only in this world, but from the foolishness in our own hearts. Look at Psalm 15. God's presence, I will not be moved. That's the theme there. God's presence, I will not be moved. You think about the wind and the waves of this life. The wind and the waves of temptation, condemnation, suffering. They're always seeking to move us from the presence of God, right? But when you give yourself over to God in a lifestyle of worship, it seeks to honor God in all that you think, say, or do. And that's a good question to always ask. God, will this honor you? The nice thing is it gives you a pause before you just react to things. <laughs> it's just it's a very practical piece like you can just pause. God, will this honor you? No, well, I'm gonna do it anyways. <laughs> Sometimes happens. No, okay, I probably shouldn't do that. Give me the power of your spirit, right? When we seek to honor him in all that we think, say, or do, then, then what we can, we can do is say with the psalmist, he who does these things, and in Psalm 15, it's a list of, of good things that a righteous person would do, and he ends it by saying, "He who does these things, God honoring things, that person shall not be moved." Why? Because the person who's behaving and living in a way that God calls him to, that person is attempting to worship God in all that he thinks, says, and does. So worship, worship really is like an anchor in life. Worship is like uh, the anchor of a lifestyle that will not be moved from God's presence. Look at Psalm 16. Psalm 16, you see that God will never leave you, which is a great promise because loneliness is powerful, isn't it? How many of us here have felt lonely just in the last week? There's five of us. That's really good. The rest of y'all, I want some of your friendship, okay? Loneliness is a powerful motivator, right? It can cause even the strongest of men to curl up in the corner and cry big fat tears that he won't show to somebody because then he'll be more lonely. It can cause a person to look for acceptance, typically, in some of the most despicable of sinful patterns. And this is why you and I must constantly be reminded that the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which basically means hell, or let your Holy One see corruption. See, the pain of abandonment is a very real thing, right? It's a very real thing in this broken life. But here's the thing, there is one who will never abandon you. There is one who will never leave you or forsake you no matter how bad you are. That's crazy. That's the promise that motivates true worship that at the same time resists the lure of sin and casts aside the condemnation of shame and guilt. That's worship. (coughs) Look at Psalm 17. God will hide me from my enemies. Once again, you come to this theme of needing protection from enemies. Now, while the psalmist oftentimes um, spoke of actual physical enemies, you know David running from Absalom, so on and so forth. His own son was trying to kill him. Okay, story's great; it goes on forever. It reads like a great soap opera, kind of like that old show Dallas. I used to watch that when I was a kid too. Which is probably a really good confession. It's a horrible show. I can st- I can hear the song in my head right now. The psalmist often spoke of physical enemies. And we know that our most dangerous enemies are who? Good job, y'all. Good job. There's one thing y'all walk out of here with is that. My enemies are not these guys, but these guys. And they're invisible. Let's go fight them with squirt guns. To these enemies, though, to these enemies, according to the psalmist, in Psalm 17, look at verses 6 and 7, we can stand in worship, we can proclaim together, God, I call upon you for you will answer me. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. The promise here is that God will hide you from your enemies as you find refuge in him through worship. Look at Psalm 18. We're almost there. Psalm 18 is one of my favorite psalms. In it, we learn that God is my rock and my fortress. So I realize that sometimes my heart begins to slip away. Anybody ever notice that in your own life? Your your heart kind of begins to slip away from the presence of God, right? Um, Like like when you're being bombarded with temptation or you're being bombarded with shame, being bombarded with condemnation or guilt, what do you need in those moments? What you need is a heart that gets reoriented, turned around and back to God through worship. And in those moments, the way the psalmist does it, Through worship, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. One of my favorite worship songs is I Love You, Lord. Have You ever heard that song? I'm not going to sing it for you. I've done that in the past already. We're not going to do that again. I love you, Lord. It's a beautiful song. It's repetitive, um, but it's true. And it reorients your heart. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God my rock in whom i take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold i call upon the lord who is worthy to be praised and i'm saved from my enemies so when you and i turn to god as our rock and our fortress in times of trouble what we're doing is we're giving him the worship he deserves and as we worship him what we do is we find a solid rock to stand on in the midst of the storm. And we find an impenetrable fortress to hide behind when all of life and all of hell is getting unleashed against us. That's worship. Look at Psalm 19. God, what I see here is God is an artistic prophet. Kind of one of my favorite ones here. He's an artistic prophet. All you artistic creative types in the room, you just woke up, right? God is an artistic prophet. There are a lot of ugly things in this life, right? Agree? A lot of ugly things to face. And I think that if you and I are not careful, then our hearts can get weighed down with all the ugly stuff. And this is why the psalmist reminds us that God is an artistic prophet who speaks through the beauty of His creation His spoken word. And He says it this way in verses 1 and 7 of chapter 19. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky does what? The sky proclaims. Have you ever heard the sky say anything? I don't hear this guy talking, but I can see it talking. I can see what it's saying. Definitely a play on words, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What you see in Psalm 19 is this dual feature of God's handiwork in creation revealing himself, and then God's spoken word through his. His word, right? His law. He ties both of them together. And that's what worship is about. Worship is about moving the affections of the heart through the beauty of creation to our creator, who is an artistic prophet, right? Who speaks loudly through his creation and then also his spoken word. And both go together. They don't don't contradict each other. Psalm 20, last one, we're there. God's name is trustworthy. It's the last thing that, that we'll look at. When I look back over my life, I think about all the times I've felt let down. One of the biggest times I felt let down was when my mom died. Long story. I ain't got time for it, other than the fact that my mom and I didn't have a good relationship. Um, She was a horse trainer, and I actually got to preach her funeral when she died. It was a long, long season, but this is the passage that I preached um, at her funeral. That was one of those seasons where I felt let down. Like, God, you didn't bring this back around where I could have a relationship with my mom, this side of heaven that was healthy and good. So it was a real, I mean, it's taken me years had to crank through this. That was a season where I felt let down. I know there are seasons where I've let other people down, too. Certain of that. And I can tell you about all my sins. Times I let my wife and my kids and friends down. I'm encouraged with this truth from this passage in verses 6 through 7. The psalmist says, I know that the Lord saves his anointed, those who belong to him. The Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven the saving might of his right hand. Here's the last piece. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, because my mom was a horse trainer. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So the truth that comes out of this is that in the midst of all the untrustworthy things in this life, what we can do is we can trust in the name of God who gave his son to die in our place, overcoming the presence, the power, and the penalty of sin and leaving the grave empty three days later, and at the same time depositing like a big fat paycheck that will never run out, the promise of eternity in our hearts. That's true worship. Amen? Would you stand with me and let's pray together? Father, thank you for thank you for your word. Thank you for your psalms. And I pray that pray that what we just what we just studied through or that you would take it and you would use it over these closing moments to do a work of transformation in our hearts. Give us hearts that, that desire and long to worship you, hearts that, that trust in you because of your work at the cross and the empty tomb. Remind us of the promise that you've given us of heaven, that this place is not our final resting place, not our final home. Our home is in heaven with you if we trust in you, which means we get to look forward to a place where all things get fixed for good. We get to look forward to a place where there is no more mourning, there's no more tears, no more sin, no more brokenness, no more enemies. Our enemies are completely defeated once and for all in those moments. And we're made whole by the shed blood of your Son by the broken body of your son. Lord, and as we close with worship to song, and as we close the time of prayer, receiving communion, God, pray that you would come and break our hearts a little bit, mend our hearts a little bit, strengthen our hearts a little bit, turn our hearts to you. I trust you to do this work. In Jesus' name, amen.